As many of you know, we're beginning our series on the body this very first week. And so the first, for this first week, we just want to take time and evaluate, like, what are our hopes and goals and plans for this series? Um, and how do we want to see this play out? And what do we hope people take from it uh, kind of on a, a large scope? So um, the question about, like, why, why are we doing this sermon series? Uh, it started about two years ago uh, when I went to the United Church of Christ, which is where the, the denomination that I'm ordained in. And I decided, uh, after sitting on a committee that was planning about how to do sexual assault and abuse awareness Sundays in worship services, that that was something that I really wanted to bring back to Imago Day. that I thought this was a space and a place that could hold um, space for that in the church. When historically the church talks and rails a lot about sexual, uh, sexual sin, but often the sexual sin that the church talks about has absolutely nothing to do with uh, sexual assault and abuse. That's like a sexual sin that we just like, don't talk about at all. And so I wanted us to spend time as a church um, talking and focusing on that. However, then the pandemic hit, and it felt like that wasn't really a service that we should probably be trying to do exclusively virtually. And so postponed that. And then as time has gone on, begin to think about how there's so many things we do in our bodies that expand just beyond the topic of sexual assault and abuse that this really could become a whole sermon series. And so over the series, we're going to be talking about things like aging and mental health and trauma and sex and a wide gamut of topics. And so we're hoping that we can, can kind of make a series out of this that would be holistic because also a lot of times I've heard that when churches do series on the bodies, they just talk about sex. And there's so much more in our bodies than, than sex. Um, the other thing that, that we want to talk about during this series, why, why we chose to do this series, is because of the season and time of the year it is. So we just finished um, celebrating Easter Sunday, but Easter actually is not just a day, but it's actually a season in the church called Eastertide, which is 40 days after Jesus' resurrection where he walks upon the earth and he's, he's here among the people. And, so, and then on the 50th day, we celebrate Pentecost. And we wanted to take this time to be able to stop and to think about, okay, what does it mean, the ramifications for Jesus to come and Jesus is, and God to embody God's self in a resurrected body? And so what does that mean for us to live in our bodies? What does Christ's resurrection mean for our bodies, just as Christ's body um, was resurrected with actual scars even on it? It wasn't this perfect body that even came and rose from the dead, um, but it actually bore wounds from the, the life and the hard things that he experienced while he was here on earth. So um, that's our hope. And that's why we wanted to start as well, just by talking about the incarnation. So the incarnation is more than just this idea of like this theological concept with a big fancy word, but it, it really brings in, brings home this idea that Jesus was in a body for a reason, right? So there, there's more to it than just, well, so that Jesus could walk the earth. Of course he had to be in a body. So one of the things that the church has struggled with since basically the beginning of the church in, in this form is this idea of what does it mean that Jesus is fully human and fully divine? And so there's this dualistic thinking and this the multiple heresies in the early days of the church around this idea that, well, Jesus was, sure, he was human, but he was actually mostly divine. Or, well, Jesus was a little divine, but he was mostly human. And, and so there's all these different directions that the church really struggled with to, to find a space to believe that Jesus was actually fully human and fully divine at the same time. And that that didn't just happen at the point of the resurrection or after the resurrection, but that in his birth, at the moment that he was born, even though just like any other human, Jesus was fully dependent on other humans to keep him alive. Jesus was fully human and fully divine. And then as he grew up as a young person and a teenager, fully human, fully divine, as he was 
you know, doing all the miracles. He was fully human and fully divine. And then at his death, he was fully human and fully divine. And, and then the resurrection is what made that so real, right? And so then what does it look like to continue to make that real? Richard Rohr in his book, which you can only get as an audiobook, it's a really interesting experience. It's called The Art of Letting Go. He talks about this idea that that one of the things we struggle with as Christians is to really believe that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. And that, that the negative impact of that can be that it's really hard for us to acknowledge that we, in fact, within our bodies, hold both humanity and divinity. We hold that within our very bodies and that that's part of the grand design of what God did. And so it's... It's really important to talk about bodies so that we can understand that divinity component. Barbara Brown Taylor has this great thought um, that she sh uh, that Rachel Held Evans actually shared in Searching for Sunday, and it says, "In an age of information overload, the last thing any of us needs is more information about God. We need the practice of incarnation by which God saves the lives of those whose intellectual ascent has turned them dry as dust." who have run frighteningly low on the bread of life, and who are dying to know more God in their bodies. Not more about God. More God. We also, another reason that we wanted to do this series is because um, we believe that we have become uh, adversarial against our own bodies. We, we struggle with this. We we want to, we wish our thighs were not as thick. We wish we could be a size two. I, I wish I looked like her, or I wish I looked like him. And we're constantly uh, um, rehashing self-talk in our head that is negative toward our bodies. And we wanted to talk about that in, in a way that could bring life and healing to the way that we discuss our own bodies or think about our own bodies. And the church for the most part, has not been helpful in this way. The, the church has been adversarial toward the body, and, and the church has scripture to back itself up. Uh, in the book of Romans, Paul says multiple times that the flesh is bad, the flesh is evil, the flesh is weak. And so the, the church generally has latched onto that idea and, and taught us that there's not much good about our bodies. And so we've internalized that, and, and it's caused damage to all of us um, and, and the thing that that the church really should be should have been talking about all these years was the damage that we do to one another's bodies. Mm. Because come to find out, there's been so much sexual abuse within our churches for eons, for generations, that has been swept under the rug, that has been ignored, that has been dismissed, that has been, oh, we don't want to involve the authorities, let's handle this within the church. And untold damage has been done to bodies of people that really, the church, we have to reckon with this. We have to reckon with our complicity in the ways that we may have perpetuated this, ignored this. Um, it's time that we deal with it. Yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, this, this, this passage that we had read on Sunday out of Romans chapter 12, uh, it continues on and it says, so, so here's what you do, God helping you take your everyday, your ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around life and place it before God as an offering. So one of the reasons we wanted to do this series is because we believe here at Imago, one of our directives is that everything is spiritual. And so that means everything that we do in our bodies is spiritual. So it's important that we, that we talk about this topic. 
Um, even if sometimes it's not, not necessarily a verse for every idea or issue that we're talking about, sometimes things develop over time. Reality is, is that whether it's in Scripture and there's a, a verse in reference to talk about it, it's still a spiritual thing. And I think God still speaks into those things that exist in our world. Uh, so we want to spend time really talking about that uh, because really, in essence, in order to have a healthy theology of our, of our, of our bodies, um, we have to have a healthy theology of, of who God is, who God created us to be, the Isiomago Day. We cannot love other people well until we can learn to love ourselves. And so learning to love these bodies that we've been given will give us the ability to love other people. We want to talk about uh, ways that we can stop talking so harshly about our bodies. Like I said a minute ago, like the self-talk that we use uh, of, of, about, our, our, about our bodies and how we can learn to check that and that we need to check that. Uh, and let's acknowledge that there, there probably are some things about our bodies that we could do better at. Maybe we do need to eat more healthy. Maybe we do need to exercise a little bit more. Maybe we do need more sleep. And let's be honest about that without speaking so harshly about ourselves, about our bodies. And we have to remember that there are good things about our bodies. And let's look to that too, like this body, has birthed four children. This body has breastfed four kids. This body was in a car wreck at the age of 15. I was hit by a log truck. It didn't have a seatbelt on. It was in a hatchback car. It was in the backseat of the car when the car landed. This body's been through a lot. This body has been sexually abused and assaulted. This body has seen a lot. This body has been misused by myself, by my own self, and by others. And chances are, that's your story too. So we want to work through that and talk about that and give one another the space to, um, to think about these ways that we've misused our own bodies and the ways that other people have misused our bodies. Yeah. And part of that starts with how we talk about our bodies, yes. right? And so um, for so often we've had these ideas ingrained that, that we, um, you know, a body is an it. It's a separate entity. And, and like Paul, you know, it's, it's evil. It's bad. And so we don't even realize that these things are working on us. But that's why I really appreciated Jen Hatmaker in Fierce, Free and Full of Fire. She had this great essay about her body. And she talked about how it's important to think of our body as a, as a pronoun, a her or a him or a they instead of an it. Right, so it's when we think of our body as an it, we have this kind of feeling uh, where it's separate from us, and so I can be mean to my body and and not realize that I'm actually being mean to myself uh, because myself is inhabited in this body. Now I love it because Jen's a three and I'm a three, and she she very much did that kind of like look at all the things my body can do. Right? Like, look at all the things that, but that's a slippery slope sometimes. We have to be really careful with that kind of thinking because that thinking a lot of times can lead to ableism. It can lead to this idea that, that our bodies are only as valuable as what they're able to do. And so at one point, my body did a marathon. I would not to say run a marathon because I walked quite a bit of it, but I finished a marathon, right? Um, and it can be really easy for me to get down on myself because I'm not doing that right now. Um, and so that's why I love Carrie Egan, who's a hospice chaplain. She wrote this really great book called On Living. And she shares some of the stories of the people that she worked with throughout her time. One of the stories that she shares is about a woman who um, desperately wants to eat cake. And so hospice chaplaincy, she's at the end of her life, right? Um, and her family has her on this really strict diet because forever they've blamed 
her weight for her health problems. Mm -hmm. And so now here she is at the end of life, and, and they don't even want to give her the freedom to eat the food that she wants mm -hmm. to eat. Um, and they're, it's continuing. And she said, you know, when people are at the end of their life, they really appreciate the gift of a body. Mm -hmm. They don't sit there and talk about how, oh, I wish I would have done this with my body or I wish I would have done that. They just want to have a body a little bit longer because a body is where you can be in relationship with people in physical, real ways. And she really wanted that. And so that's why I'm really grateful. Rose Lang, who is one of our Imagoans, um, suggested this book to me. It's called The Body is Not an Apology, The Power of Radical Self-Love. And it's a really powerful book with so much to it. I, we could do an entire sermon series just straight from this book. But my favorite thought was around this idea of the liberation that comes when we actually have this radical self-love towards our bodies. And so going even beyond, right? Love is not dependent on what people do for us. Love is like a choice, right? And so what does it look like to choose to love our bodies the way they are? without trying to create this system like, well, I'll love my body if, or I'll love my body when. Um, but as we move through this series and we recognize all the things that, that are wrapped up in these bodies, right, uh, that we would have the opportunity to have this kind of love for our bodies and stop apologizing for them. You mentioned Rosalang recommending that book, and, and this week Rosalang was writing an article on the Imago Voices blog page in regards to this very topic. So we hope that you, you folks read that and engage that. It's, it's really rich material about um, body image and, and having a good self-body image. Um, so the, the passage that we heard read yesterday morning continues, and it says, Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-informed maturity in you. So this passage um, was one that during the scripture discussion came up for Libby, like that this had been misused in, in ways that were like, you know, don't be like everyone else. And so, um, so the interesting thing about putting this intention is that in reality, the culture around us has told us that the ideal body type is different. Like what they've said about what the ideal body type has changed over time. Um, and a lot of times there's a, there's a deep intersection between ideal body type and class, right? And so typically the people who have more money are the people who are able to have the ideal body type. So in today's world, the ideal body type is, you know, slim and muscular and, and strong and, and, you know, but that, that's because you can afford healthier foods and you can, you have access to those things and you can go to four different grocery stores when they're out of strawberries, um, which just might be a personal experience for my life this weekend. Um, and you know, you can belong to a gym or have a trainer. I mean, those are things that you have more access to. But the reality is, is that body type, like, was not the ideal body type for long. It used to be that, that if you were, you know, a fuller figured woman, that was actually the ideal body type because that meant that you had access to food, right? And so you were able to eat well, and so you had a fuller figure. And um, and so it's a really interesting thing to think about that for both men and women, the ideal body type has changed. Like since the beginning of time, there's, there's really rich history around that and the reasons for it. Um, but, but this is one of those times where I think we get to kind of do that internal work of talking to God and saying like, okay, God, like this is the body that I have. Like I was never going to be a size two or a size zero. And when I was in high school, that was really hard for me because I had friends who were, and that was just never going to be the body type that I had. 
Um, and so what does it mean for us to recognize that bodies are different? And, and if we can't accept like that bodies are different, no wonder we struggle so much to deal with all the other differences, right? Like we can't even accept the things that you can see that clearly some bodies more easily are going to be like thinner or taller. I mean, things that are completely outside of our control. And so what does it look like to be a body, yeah, you know, sure. that wants to celebrate all the bodies? all the bodies just as they are when we talk about uh, the worldly culture which i think is what um we were probably taught as kids you know the worldly culture around us but there's also a church culture that we in this series would like to check uh, we were taught that when uh, timothy and first paul says in first timothy 2 9 when he says to, for women to dress modestly you know i was taught in a conservative southern baptist church that that meant that I had to always be covered up to here. My blouse couldn't be loose. Uh, so a guy could like look down my shirt and see my boobs. Oh, the horror. Or my pants can't be too tight or my skirt can't be too short because I am responsible for my brother's response to my body. When that is not scriptural at all. I am responsible for me. Um, and we want to check that purity culture thing of that says that I can cause you to stumble because my shirt was too low. The word modest there doesn't even mean what we were taught to mean. And, and I would love to go back in time to those <laughs> Southern Baptist preachers that said, this is what this word modest means, and ask them, okay, now explain, me, explain to me how you got that. Because here's, here's, here's a secret and the truth all wrapped in one. It does not mean that. It means excessive, excessiveness. It means to be humble. Because these were, uh, the people that Paul was talking to were wealthy women who had the means to carry the coach bag and the, the Pandora bracelet and the, um, yeah, Louis uh, yeah, and the Louis Vuittons <laughs> and, and the Gucci shoes and et cetera, et cetera. And Paul is saying, hey, ladies, why don't you leave that at home when you meet together as a gathering? Because we want women that are a more meager means to feel comfortable, to feel welcome in your Showing off your wealth makes people of meager means feel uncomfortable. So it's a way of making someone feel more welcome and invited into my into our space. It's not about covering up my breast. Yeah, yeah and I, I can't help but think about the, the passage where they all gather to have communion and meal together. And those who are of less means come late to the party, but those who are wealthy and don't have a job during the day and can just hang out and have communions, they eat everything. And they leave basically nothing for those who are poor. And so there's a call to modesty there too, right? Yes. Consideration of like the other people who are of different class, as you referenced, right. who have different means and access to food and different body and right. everything like that. So, but one of the things I was thinking about when you think about church culture, you know, we, we always growing up in evangelicalism, for me at least, uh, we, we always had to check ourselves against the, the world's culture, right? The secular world. But like you said, there's a church culture to be checked. And so for me, I remember that checking of church culture first happened when I decided to be single and celibate. Um, and I did that for five years. And I, and, and I, was ne I never was made to feel accepted as single. It was always like, well, you're single now, but like you're gonna look eventually, right? You'll find a woman eventually, and it was like, no, no, I'm just gonna do the single thing, and that was just like culturally wasn't acceptable, even though like Jesus was single, Paul was single. There's verses about it, <laughs> still not acceptable, and the culture of the church wasn't built for single people, sadly, oftentimes. 
And so I remember having to check myself on that. I remember having to check church culture on women in ministry and leadership and teaching kids and thinking, you know, well, they can teach kids, why can't they teach adults? And, and then, of course, for myself personally, checking myself on the church's culture and ideas around LGBTQ people, first starting with the gay community, then the trans community, and then most recently, checking the church's culture around varying sexual ethics, because reality is, is the church has taught a lot of different um, sexual, uh, has taught a very narrow sexual ethic, and quite, and to be honest with you, like, there are sexual ethics that exist out there, and there are teachings out there about the body that, like, that have been good, right, that, that have been helpful, even if they are traditional, but reality is, is even though they have been traditional, maybe they didn't include everybody. They didn't think about everybody. And so there are some people, even here at Imago, that there are things maybe you learned in evangelicalism or within whatever faith tradition you bring to this church that maybe you'll feel throughout this series like, oh, like, are you attacking my, my belief? Like, because, like, you're offering a different alternative? Um, and we just want you to know, like, no. Like, if that, if that ethic, if that belief, if that practice that the church has taught you has been helpful to you and strengthening to your marriage and grounding for you and allowed connectivity with you and God, like, that is good. That is beautiful. All we're trying to do is expand and, and say, hey, maybe that works for you, but maybe that doesn't work for everybody. Maybe the ethic the church has taught was just never broad enough to sort of reach the corners of the field of people who live on the margins and on the sides that maybe don't fit the norms of the day. Um, so that's what we're trying to check when we talk about checking church culture, checking world culture, to ask, is this theology I hold even more expansive than, than, than what I've been taught? The other thing that we want to highlight is the idea of, of white Western culture and the historic beliefs connected to that. Yeah, so there, you know, when we look at this idea of, you know, what does it mean to, to love everybody? Right? Like, so what are the things that we're going to have to work through? What are the things we're going to have to kind of negotiate? And, um, you know, this, this didn't start now. Like, this didn't start in today's world. I mean, historically, we can look back through the church, and there were, there were all kinds of thoughts about bodies, right? So, like, women weren't allowed in the temple if they were menstruating or if they had just had a baby. Um, you know, the original reason that priests were celibate was because they weren't allowed to serve communion if they had had sex within the last 24 hours. And so, you know, that meant that they needed to be celibate because they always had to be available to serve communion. Um, and so there's all of these different things about, you know, what, what it means to be in a body that are actually natural experiences mm -hmm. that people have. And, but that became limitations, right? And so that they said like, well, no, like you don't fit if this was going on. And so this isn't just, I mean, this is kind of built up and then, and there are pieces of that that we're still holding on to, right? Yeah. Like this idea of, you know, how women and the way women handle things and the way women respond to things, you know, like, is that the right way? And, and all of these pieces that we, you know, we've, we've dealt with in a lot of different ways. I know for me, um, this became, especially with regard to body image, right? The white Western culture ideas around body image really came to play for me when I had a daughter. So I have a three and a half year old daughter. Um, and I remember just being suddenly very aware of like the media images that were all around her, even though she probably couldn't even see yet. Um, and all of a sudden in my postpartum state, like there was this huge emotional reaction and, and it hit me the most. Um, when she was nine months old, I remember someone talking about her having thick thighs. And I remember thinking, what is wrong with you? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Like, she's nine months old. She's a breastfed baby. She's a healthy baby. There's, there's nothing wrong with her. And, you know, I have thick thighs. She may end up with thick thighs. And there's nothing wrong with thick thighs. 
eyes. In fact, there's lots of people who actually find that incredibly attractive. And, and like, how sad is it that there is this like idea placed on her so that before she could even, I mean, she's learning language at this stage, right? So like, you know, with my background in speech language pathology, she's hearing things and forming ideas. And so if from that early on, it's totally acceptable to talk about her body as an object, mm. right? Her body's an object, right? And we can, we can objectively assess looking at her and place labels upon it. And so I really pushed back against that, which meant that I had to start deconstructing the things that were internalized for me that I say about my own body. And so that's why I love, there's you know movements right now like health at every size and intuitive eating to help us recognize, like listen to our bodies. Our bodies are telling us really important things um, and, and some bodies need more food than others. Like there isn't some perfect system for everyone. And, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be listening to our bodies as well. Like I know that there are certain foods that when I put them in my body, I am not going to feel well. Sure. Like, and I still like them. <laughs> so sometimes I'm going to eat them. Um, but you know, how do we create space to really allow people to have agency over their own bodies and to believe that their bodies are good, mm -hmm. right? That God created these bodies and they're good. And to take that and then build from that in such a way that says, you know, hey, like there is no ideal. There just isn't. Like, what if what if this space became the kind of space where we actually dismantled that idea and said, there is no ideal. Like, we can, you know, yesterday this room was full, and it was full of bodies that were all different. Not one of them looked exactly the same. Um, and so if we want to be the kind of space that loves God and loves others and loves the Imago Dei, we're going to have to figure out as we go through this, like, what are those like ideas and notions that have been put upon us that maybe felt fine because we didn't question them, sure. but actually maybe were destructive mm -hmm. in ways that we couldn't even see. And so I'm grateful that God gave me a daughter because for whatever reason, I don't think I was seeing that piece of it mm -hmm. through the eyes of being the mother of sons. Mm -hmm. so there was something different about being the mother of a daughter that yeah. made that different for me. We were talking about, you were talking about women, when we were discussing this sermon, women and their body image, and I started to think about, okay, well, like men, like what sort of body image, we don't really, men don't really talk about body image too much amongst each other, um, but like what are the things that men deal with, and I couldn't help but start thinking about like, I've shared with you before, as a kid, I tried to play baseball, because that's what boys are supposed to do with their bodies when they're little kids, and I couldn't hit the ball, so the coach would tell me like, just step into the ball and get a walk for us. And, and that was my relationship with baseball. And, it, you know, I had bruises everywhere, and I thought, I'm, I'm kind of tired of this. And, and I, began to re like, I began to be angry, though, because my dad was upset with me that I couldn't play baseball because that's what a boy is supposed to do. My body wasn't doing that. And, and I remember feeling upset about that. And then I remember as I've gotten older, um, in high school and in my early 20s, throughout college, like, people would literally say to me in the church, you look sick. You're so skinny. Are you eating? And then... The, the, the perk of it was that I would get a lot of, like, fun casseroles and sweets on my front door. <laughs> like, I would get a ton, like, you need to eat more? I'm like, yeah, absolutely I do. Like, thank, I am so sick. Um, sick of you saying that to me, right? Because I, I was tired of being basically told, like, you're skinny, you're not, you're not muscular, you're not big, you don't have a large, large muscular body, then that's what a masculine body should look like. What's wrong with you? Nobody says that to me anymore, so I'm a little concerned uh, that maybe I, don't, maybe I don't look as skinny as I used to. Uh, but that's okay, because I, I'm getting to the point, though, where now that I'm in my 30s, I'm, 
I'm realizing, like, my body's changing, and I have to work to keep a certain body that I was used to before. And I'm going to tell you, like, being skinny with, like, this little anthill, I'm struggling a little bit. Like, I, I don't tuck my shirts in anymore because I don't really want it to show. And, and, I'm, and, I, and it's hard because I feel like, well, this body isn't like what my body used to be. And trying to accept what my body is now is hard because I never even accepted my body before when it was skinny. I, that was never even good enough. And so I think that, like, the ways that men view our own bodies, but I also think one other thing we talked about as well is, is like when it comes to sexual assault or abuse, which happens in very high numbers in children, right? I mean, I think, I think the number was like one in nine women, girls have been, have been abused, and I think it's like one in 52 uh, children have been abused, right? And that's, that's in the age of like anywhere from zero to 18. That's a high percentage. And, and I think, quite frankly, when you think about the abuse that occurs in assault, as you grow up, you, or, or even in, in our bodies as adults, we do things then to our bodies at times to, to turn people off. So we've talked about a little bit about how some women will, will put on weight so that they're unattractive in their minds to other people and they're not, no longer target. And then the opposite happens sometimes with men. They'll be sexually assaulted and then they want to bulk up because they feel like they were weak. They feel like they were small. Like, how did I let another man do this to me? I can't allow this to happen again. And so they'll go to the other extreme and fixate on that in order to somehow gain power and strength to deal with it. So, you know, our bodies, so much happens to it, and we do so much in our bodies and with our bodies that we don't even realize why we're doing it. Um, but it's all tied together. So let the last part of, of, of this passage, uh, for time's sake, what time is it? Is that? Okay, thank you. Um, we'll, we'll try to highlight here a little bit. Is this, it says in this passage, it says, In this way we are like various parts of the human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the, whole way, not, not the other way around. The bodies we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our own meaning and function as a part of this body. But as a chopped off finger or toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? You know, God designed us to be people who need one another. We need community. We really can't be lone rangers or an island under ourselves. Even though if you're someone like me who gets more energy from introversion, um, that it works for a while, but it doesn't work forever. Uh, we need one another. You know, Hillary Clinton was right when she said it takes a village, even though that when she said that at the time, people clutched their pearls over it. It's true, and we all know it's true. We need one another, um, and God made us that way, and it's important that we find our ways, uh, find a way to be together in whatever way that we can, and I think especially during COVID, that didn't get to happen for a lot of us. There's no hugging, no seeing one another. And, you know, we grieved that. I know I grieved that. And I'm not a hugger. And I grieve not hugging people. Um, we need to find healthy ways to be in community with one another so we can um, find health and wholeness in that way. Yeah. So uh, Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, the, the pastor at AMC, which is where the Heights are attending now, uh, he, he's, he makes this quote that really stuck with me. He says, Jesus informs most of us on how we see God. What we struggle with is allowing Jesus to inform how we see ourselves. And I think part of being a, a, a part of a church that we call ourselves Amago Dei, the image of God, is to call out in each other the things we see in one another that maybe we don't see in ourselves. And it's calling out one another to be the Imago Dei, to, to, like, to accept whatever we are in our bodies as the Imago Dei and not in resistance to it, right? And so... Wherever we are in our journey, no matter what we're working through or the trauma that we've experienced in our bodies or the body images that we're, cha we're challenged with or the sexual ethics that we may hold, like wherever we are in that, like we still are the Imago Dei. Even if we are 
feeling imperfect in those areas, or we feel wounded or traumatized in those areas. And so the ways we can support and encourage one another, I think along that journey is really important because when we just stay to ourselves, I think we, we never get to that place that we, that we really could be in the place of health, of seeing Jesus and ourselves in the same body. Things about our body is that our, our bodies have they're just such great indicators, right? They're telling us all of these things. And I didn't used to listen to my body. And, I, and there's a lot of reasons for that that will probably come out when I talk about trauma. But I just, I disregarded what my body had to say and what my body was trying to tell me. And so one of the things that I've had to learn to do is to notice those things, right? Like if, I, if I'm feeling tense, like tenseness in my shoulders, or if I'm feeling it like in my chest. Um, and one of the times this came out, we were driving the other day and it was raining, right? Because it's April and it just rains like, all the time apparently again um and so we were driving and i felt this like tenseness in my stomach and in my chest because of like the weather and just being concerned about how people were driving around me and one of my kids said something to me just like asking me to put a different song on or turn the volume up or whatever and i just snapped at them like i was like mean mom instantly um and i had to recognize that i had been allowing these feelings to like rise up without questioning them so one of the things i've started to try to learn to do and this is very much like a work in progress is to recognize those feelings and go okay like what is that telling me like what what am i feeling what what's the narrative that's matching that feeling in my body and how can i question that to figure out like what's really creating harm in this situation what's what is the underlying story that i'm telling myself that's really destructive and sometimes i have to do like why 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 right so that was one of the things they taught in our cross cultural classes those moments of stress when you feel that like question it five whys before you really get to like where is this coming from, right? And so um, just something to consider as you're working through like what we're talking about, which we know is like a ton. We're like throwing so much. It feels like a fire hose right now. But um, we just, we want to create as much space as possible, recognizing this is just the beginning of a conversation. Um, but part of that conversation is gonna be that internal, why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling? Yeah. So uh, we just wanna create space here at the end, invite the band to come up. Um, and allow us to sort of check in with our bodies this morning. We may be feeling a lot of different things as we've heard different topics talked about, or maybe there's an anxiousness like, oh boy, that's going to be talked about in a few weeks. I don't know, like, if I'm ready for that or where I'm at with that. And that's okay, and we just want to continue to reiterate, like, there may be certain topics that you're like, I don't really want to be around other people when I hear that talk or hear that topic talked about, and it is fine for you to just, like, go for a run and listen to it on a podcast and process it outside of this, this space in this building. So take the space you need. Um, so uh, if you would just maybe in this moment, uh, as we check in with our bodies, Melinda is going to, to read sort of a reflection out of a book called A Return to Love, um, A Course in Miracles by Miriam Williamson. And so maybe close, I invite you to close your eyes if you feel comfortable with that and to not be distracted by others around you. Maybe sit up, your straight back against the uncomfortable pew with your feet to the ground. Maybe take a deep breath in. Check in with your body. Are your shoulders reaching up to your ears? If they are, just sort of let them down. Are you clenching your teeth and your jaw? If so, maybe just release that for a moment, acknowledging that your body's feeling tense. And hear these words. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, 
Who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing, in, nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others.